You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Hey, welcome to the program. As you just heard, big noon sports on a Friday afternoon. A little chilly, a little overcast, but it's the weekend nonetheless. Appreciate all of you that have dialed us in. As you just heard, Christian, Lars, and Matt. Big weekend for college football. The SEC championship game taking place in Atlanta. you got LSU and Georgia, and it's kind of a whole hum. I don't know that a lot of people are giving LSU a chance, but this is just the perfect opportunity for Brian Kelly to do something special. Don't think that's going to happen. But want to welcome everybody in. Lars, how's it going over there, pink headset? <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'm actually going to go out and buy new headsets. Looks good um, on you. Well, look, yeah. hey, I, you're, I got the pink shirt. Yeah, going, you're, so. you're, you, you feel comfortable in your manhood by wearing the pink shirt. I've, you know, I've been doing that since I was a little kid. Maybe that's what, what's wrong or right with no, me. No, I, I I like wearing pink as well. And, uh, you know, Christian is actually the fashion expert. Is he the, ever? The, you ought to see him last uh, home game. I guess the Auburn game. Man, he had on a crimson blazer. Christian, how are you, man? You are looking good. He may not be checked in at, at Tuscaloosa, which uh, may give me an opportunity to just go, go personal. Just yeah, for just a yeah. Second. I got some personal yeah, stuff, too. Uh, you know, um... We don't get a lot of things right, it seems, this day and age with schools, okay? I'm not going to go political on you. I'm just going to go with something that's done right, and I have said this probably 10, 15 years ago, even back to when my children were young. But allowing parents and grandparents to go eat lunch with, I mean, I am so high right now because I had lunch with a with a six- and a seven-year-old, five, I think. Whoops, Ella, sorry. But anyway, just sitting there in a room Full of elementary school age children. That's right. Your it's grandkids just, are the same age as my kids. Yeah. And it's just, and you and I, what are 10, 15 years yeah. apart, but it's just so emotional. I and mean, when Ella saw me in the hall, she ran and jumped in my arms and she held on to me for like 30 seconds. Big hug. I'm going to start crying just about it right now. But it's just, it's so cool. And I just want to say, hey, school systems, you dang sure got this one right. It's interesting the dynamic between grandfather and grandchildren and father and children. Oh yeah. Because I bet Ella didn't do that with her father or her mother, but when she saw you, it's just like just pure love, you know. And and uh, I I know you can and, and you are a really active grandparent. You you are incredibly involved in in your grand grandchildren's lives. Um, but you know, you have the ability to parachute in and get the heck out. That's the beauty. And, uh, and it's just, I, I, I've been told that being a grandparent is absolutely the best of all relationships of all family relationships, because it is just pure love. It's all here, here. I saw a bumper sticker once that pretty much states it all. If I'd have known grandchildren this great, I would have had them first. And it just, it, it really, it's, it's a little deeper than the bumper sticker reads. Um, it's just, it's amazing. And one more thought when I was leaving, um, they were going back to class. Ella looked at me and says, Poppy, are you going to come eat lunch with me every day? Oh, I mean, man. come on. And Cole, my other 
grandson, he, he was there too, and we just had a big time. And as long as I'm doing this, I'm going to go on another one, and then we'll, we'll eventually get to sports. But it's a Friday afternoon, which we usually just cut up and have fun anyway. But um, I failed to mention this yesterday. Yesterday was my son, Matt, as we call him, Matt Man, was his birthday. So happy birthday, son! He's in Gatlinburg, riding up. Down I, the I side love of hanging out with your son. Man. A, he is a, a he is a spitting image of his old man. Yeah, and uh, you know most it, of that's good. Ninety nine percent of it is good. He's he's, he's a special little man. I have three great children. My daughters are super too. So um, anyway, I didn't say this. Wednesday They're all night. good looking too. Well, uh, hey, <laughs> you're you're surprised by that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, we went to the UAB Jacksonville basketball game Wednesday night. He's turning 28. Uh, we just got our seats and sat wherever um, and got a tall boy. Now, you, you don't do that with your grandchildren, obviously. But when you can go drink a cold beer or have a cup of coffee or, or g- get a sandwich. Um, but, I mean, there is something kind of cool about getting a beer with your son. Do you remember when you had that first beer with your son, Matt? I do, and we're not going there. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, it was at the beach, and he was. I was probably, just wondering was if it, it was a yeah. special. Moment yeah, it, it kind of was. It, it kind of was. It was at the beach, and it, it wasn't appropriate as far as a, uh, you know, age is concerned. I got but you. he had matured beyond his years, and uh, I'm absolutely one hundred percent sure it wasn't his first. <laughs> there again. You mean that day yeah. or? Uh, uh, actually, you could put all that together. Okay, I got you. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, it was a very, very cool thing. So, how are you? And I know you, you know, just. Kids uh, this I think it, yeah, it was uh, last night. Um, Lincoln, my seven-year-old, he has a uh, a watch where he can call me, and uh, he was at his mom's, and he just sort of randomly called me out of the blue. And he's just like, Daddy. I, I love when he calls me Daddy. Uh, and I, I'll be so sad when, you know, he loses that little that little child voice. And he just said, Daddy, I just want you to know I love you. Mm. And I just melted. It's like, I just want to start bawling, you know. He's just such a good kid. And, uh, and, and so are my daughters, Autumn and Farah, five-year-old twins. And... Uh, there is nothing better than uh, being a, a father, and uh, it, it's really challenging at times, especially when you're single dad and you, you got the kids for a long time, and I don't have family in town. And in a lot of ways, Matt, you you are my family in town because you have helped me with my children many times, you and Karen. And uh, I appreciate it deeply. Oh, it's out of love. You, you've even helped me move before, man. Like, yeah, that's, you know, that's a, that's, that's a, <laughs> that, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, and I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. So, well, we've got to move a couple of things. We've got to move that. And you have a credenza that you do a lot of your work. I mean, you, yeah. you, you write books off of it. And it doesn't look heavy. No. I mean, what is it, full of lead? Is it made it, out of lead? It is, the it is, it is some is serious heavy. wood. Um, yeah. But uh, we got it all done, and, I mean, that's that's what good friends are for. So, anyway, uh, speaking of that, father that was, son, way, that was way before we even thought about doing a radio show together, too. Well, um, it's, it's all good. Speaking of father-son, yesterday we had Corey on, Christian Miller's dad. Christian, uh, how are things in Tuscaloosa? Things are great. Things are great. And, uh, yeah, no, having, having my dad on here yesterday was a lot of fun. You know, he's always... You know, filled with passion when he talks about sports, and he he just loves coming on and hanging out with us uh, fellas. So, definitely uh, looking forward to having him on more often. 
Christian, looking back on your childhood, since we're we're kind of going down memory lane here uh, with Matt and and a little bit myself, um, is there a moment that sticks out that you had with your dad that that uh, that that really just sort of sparkles in your memory? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of had an interesting childhood. Um, you know, I, I actually was raised mostly by my mom, believe it or not, um, and she was, you know. Um, are basically our backbone for me and my brother growing up. You know, I just want to just want to you know give her her credit because um, you know she did so many things. I watched her work two jobs to support me and my brother, and uh, she's always just been there for me and him no matter what. Um, but in regards to my dad, you know, we definitely have a good relationship as well. And um, you know, in terms of you know sports and athletics, my dad definitely was always around to help motivate me and, and be there for how he could and. Um, you know, I just think, you know, back to whether it was, you know, the radio show when I was younger, I, I used to go with him to do that. that. That was always special and it meant a lot and just kind of following him around and, you know, trying to follow in his footsteps. And then when I got to high school, he was so um, influential in, in my recruiting process and and uh, helping me, you know, make that decision and knowing how big of a decision that was, that meant a lot to me because he had experience with it. He had been there before and he, you know, always would you know, take me on my visits and, and offer me as much, you know, counseling and, and advice that he could to help me make the best decision. So I'll just really appreciate appreciative for, you know, both the roles that both of my parents played in my childhood. Yeah, I've met his mom. She's just a very, very special lady. Did you ever go back and watch uh, tapes of your dad's old games? I have seen some of them. Um, you know, since he played back in the 90s, it's kind of hard to find. You know, there are on a lot of VHS tapes that he had growing up. That <laughs> yeah, we, would, we VHS. Would, yeah, we would we would be going through storage, and uh, I don't know why he was like this. He just he he would act so nonchalant with a lot of his stuff, and like there would just be things in storage, um, like boxes of like VHS tapes, or like you know some of his like football helmets and stuff that we'd always just find, and we're like, dude, why are these just sitting in storage like that? But we would get the tapes, and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd try to watch some of them, and, you know, it was always entertaining. Um, I always thought it was so cool, you know, because, again, as, as a kid, I always was known as, oh, the, the kid whose dad played in the NFL, and all the other kids thought it was the coolest thing. So when I would find, you know, little treasures like that, whether it be his helmets or jerseys or football cards or some of his tapes, um, it would always be the coolest thing. But, yeah, I, I got to see some of them. You know, um, most notably, there was a clip where I think he had an interception against the Redskins, and he took it back for either it was either a touchdown or it was like down at the one yard line. But um, I don't know why I specifically always remember that clip. But the, 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 he got an interception, and ran it back, and he like dove in the end zone. I thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, I found this out a little bit through my own experience, and Lars, you have too. Uh, the greatest thing about dads like that is their dad. It doesn't matter if you return that that pick for an interception against the Redskins. When you get home or when you see him next, whatever the case may be, it's dad. They don't give a and, – and they told me at times, I don't care. You're on TV, big deal. <laughs> yeah, and, and Christian, I, Christian, I would bet that your dad was more nervous watching you play at Alabama than he ever was at uh, playing for the Giants or just in, in the NFL. Was he able to see you play in person much in Tuscaloosa? Oh, yeah, he came down uh, very often. And, uh, you know, we always joke about it on, on the pregame tailgate show that me and Matt do about – how his second house was pretty much R&R cigars because when he'd come down to watch me play, you know, Friday nights, he would just be in the lounge and R&R. And, 
you know, smoking a cigar and watching all the college football games the night prior to the game. But, um, you know, he loved coming down here and watching me and supporting me. And uh, he always would, uh, you know, yeah, I think you make a great point. It's probably because, you know, he didn't have control over anything. You know, when he was playing, you know, he could prepare, he could do things, and it, he had the control. But watching me, he has no control. He just has to hope and pray that, uh, you know, I perform well and I, I, I make out uh, make it out of the game healthy. So I, I'm sure he was probably a little more antsy watching me play. But uh, one thing I do know is he was always proud um, because he, he loved bragging on me. He honestly probably spoke more about me playing than he did himself. Um, he was just so proud that um, I was able to come down here and accomplish what I've accomplished and uh, uh, just be able to say that he was my dad. Awesome stuff. SEC championship game. We'll dive into that. Yeah, let's also, get into it. Uh, bottom of the hour, uh, Bruce Cunningham, a longtime friend of mine, former sports anchor here in Birmingham. He's been in Baltimore for 20, 25 years, worked with the Ravens. Uh, he covered Trent Dilfer in his very short time there in Baltimore and, and knew him. Uh, he's going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, an announcement from Talladega Super Speedway will come at about uh, 12.45, something like that. And then top of the hour, uh, right, 1.30. Uh, yeah, 1.30, Andrew Bone, uh, the recruiting specialist uh, who is who, who covers recruiting better uh, for On3 Sports than anyone uh, that covers Alabama recruiting, I think, better than anyone in the uh, not just the state but the country. And uh, I think we will be able to keep Andrew on for two segments. So, And coming up, Lars is going to give his all-time – bullet pick on tomorrow's SEC championship. Do you take LSU or do you take Georgia? Fraction of what I say. How'd we do last night? I had the over and the Patriots, so I went over for 2. Wow. Mac not happy, was he? Mac did not. Yeah. It was not, not his finest hour or three hours. <laughs> we'll be back. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9 presents a night with award-winning Elvis tribute artist Jerome Jackson. Friday, December 9th at 7.30. Or tomorrow and Sunday, cloudy both days with occasional showers likely. The high tomorrow is 65, the high Sunday at 60. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports with Lars and Christian and Matt. Thanks for dialing us in and our uh, many affiliates right here in Birmingham and Tuscaloosa, our flagship station at Tide 100.9, and then station over in Gadsden, Anniston area. So appreciate you all dialing in. And um, we're going to talk about Trent Dilfer at the bottom of the hour, Bruce Cunningham, as I, I just said. But um, let's do a dive what's going on in Atlanta. Uh, we'll see what's going to happen. With First of all, it's just weird after three months – to be here on a Friday afternoon and not be talking about Alabama or Auburn, isn't it? Especially yeah. since that has been the case for decades. I know Alabama did w- miss one SEC championship game here recently, but then they went on and won the national championship. So, so that's odd. Christian, are you out of sorts simply because Alabama's not playing in the SEC championship game? 
It definitely does feel uh, a little odd. You know, it's uh, an anomaly right now um, that Alabama's at home, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll just have to, you know, wait and see how things play out because I guess there still is a slight chance that we could see Alabama in the playoffs. But um, for now, we're just going to have to watch Georgia and LSU uh, battle it out in the SEC championship this weekend. Yeah, and uh, as of right now, I'm seeing that LSU, excuse me, Georgia is a 17 and a half point favorite, uh, according to Caesars Sportsbook, and over under is 52. Um, uh, I think this is going to be a, a, a tall task for LSU. I, I really do because Georgia has just been on a roll. Uh, you could make the argument that really they're the top team in the country, that they've kind of separated from everyone else. Because you got to remember, Michigan nearly lost the week before Ohio State. And I, and I think that may have given Ohio State a, a sense of false confidence. I mean, Christian, it, 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 does something like that happen? If if you, I, I don't know if this ever you ever experienced this dynamic in your career where you're about ready to play a rivalry game, and then the week before your rival, who is you know ranked in the top five or whatever, they nearly get beat by an inferior opponent. In this case, I believe it was Michigan State that that nearly upset Michigan. I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, um, I, I know Michigan just they they nearly. Just it was a narrow escape. Well, and Ohio State struggled a little bit. I think they ended up winning by yeah. ten, but bo- both of them stumbled. But but a little I, bit but I, but, I'm, but I'm just wondering, would, would that give the Ohio or excuse me, the Michigan players? I'm I, I'm getting this wrong. The Ohio State players a false sense of confidence because they saw Michigan struggle the week before, and it's like, oh, these guys can be had. You know, it definitely it definitely can, and that's why it's important to, you know, retain your focus and discipline and not look at um, external factors like, you know, the, the, the game that your opponent played the previous week because that's what we would call a trap game um, where it's an easy setup. Uh, you might want to overlook your opponent and say, oh, well, they struggled against this, this team, so uh, this is going to be an easy one, and uh, that's the last thing you want to do um, because – you know, week by week, you know, a team just might not perform well. There's there's so many factors and variables that go into a performance. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're a ranked team for a reason. So even though they performed poorly the week before, you never want to underestimate an opponent because on any given day, um, you can lose a football game. And, um, you know, that's the last thing you'd want to do, especially going into a championship game like this. Uh, I don't think that would be the right approach. And I know for a fact there's no way Kirby Smart would probably allow that mentality in that locker room because – um, he's, he's probably fully aware that, uh, you know, this LSU team, they might have played uh, rough the, the, the week prior, but, I mean, they were good enough to beat an Alabama team. So um, I definitely would not take them lightly. Yeah, in a game that really means a lot to Alabama is going to be played tonight, and that is the Pac-12 championship game, uh, 7 o'clock Central time here, going to be played in Las Vegas on Fox uh, USC going against Utah, and uh, USC is 11 and one. If Utah can win this game, that just makes it uh, that that is going to knock USC out of the playoffs. I'm 100% positive of that. Ohio State would be in, and then for Alabama, it would just come down to the Big 12 championship game. Uh, you need uh, K State to beat uh, TCU and. I, I look. I if you look at TCU's wins, 
they are not that impressive this year. They, they've had a lot of close games against mediocre teams, and I fully believe that if even if TCU were to lose by, say, four to seven points, I think they fall behind Alabama. I, I, I really do, even though TCU is undefeated. But the first thing that needs to happen has to happen tonight, and that is Utah has to beat USC. And you go back to uh, the game earlier this season, Utah beat USC 43-42 in one of the best games of the college football season. And uh, Utah, man, they this is a good team. They haven't allowed more than 70 rushing yards in four of the last five games. And uh, USC doesn't have running back uh, Travis Dye, who uh, led the team in the first meeting with Utah with 76 yards. And this is all about Caleb Williams. You know, he, he the quarterback for USC, the Heisman front runner. Uh, if he plays well, I think he could lock up the Heisman. If he leads USC to a win, even if he plays just an okay game, he probably will win the Heisman. Uh, but all the pressure in this game is on USC. Uh, with a win, Utah is going to go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, with a, a loss, it's probably going to go to the Alamo Bowl. And on the other side, USC, the college football playoff is right there for the taking. And so all the pressure, Matt, is on the Trojans tonight. And this is a huge game for Alabama. A must-win for Utah for Alabama to stay alive in the college football playoffs. I have a feeling, and this is not the way I want it to go, but I have a feeling with Lincoln at the helm and Caleb Williams on his game, uh, they'll win this game. They may win handily. And if Caleb Williams is on, uh, this could be a three-score win. Question I want to pose back to Christian is both these teams have played earlier. One loss, one won. Is it, does the advantage fall in the favor of the team that won the first meeting or lost the first meeting? Uh, to, to be honest with you, it's tough to say. Um, I think both teams honestly have an advantage because they know what to expect um, out of this opponent that they, they faced uh, previously. And, uh, you know, honestly, this, it's, honest, it's really a toss-up. Um, I don't even know if you really can say one has an advantage because I truly feel they both just have an advantage at this point because, uh, you know, they've experienced this opponent now. And um, you really just – you have to be careful too, though, because you don't want to just assume that you're going to get the same, you know, style of, of play or the same game plan because, you know, obviously these coaches are smart. They're not – just going to be redundant and do the same thing they did in the last meetup. So um, I think you just have to prepare for it um, just like any other game and just focus on, you know, your game plan and what you can do to perform your best uh, to go out there and, and win the football game. I do want to ask you guys, though, I'm, I'm curious because um, I know, you know, this a loss to TCU or um, USC would keep the, the playoff hopes alive for Alabama. But with the playoff committee putting Ohio State at number five, and TCU would only have one loss if they did lose. Do you still feel that it's enough for Alabama to slide in that fourth spot? And TCU drop only one? Yeah. Is and, that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about uh, it, if USC loses, you know, I think a one loss. I think a one-loss TCU is out. I, I, I do, too. And uh, let me just tell you why here. Uh, okay, so... TCU this year against SMU they won 42-34 SMU 
against Kansas, and they're ranked number 19. They were ranked number 19 at the time. 38-31 they won. Uh, against Oklahoma State, and they were ranked number 8 at the time. It took two overtimes. They won 43-40. Against West Virginia, not a very good team, 41-31. Against Texas Tech, not a great team, 34-24. Beat Texas, we know Texas, 17-10. Baylor, they won 29-28. So they've had a lot of sort of games where they've escaped with a win and you compare their resume then to uh to alabama's and who is playing better right now and the committee takes that into yeah uh it's ncaa tournament like yeah the the, yeah and and they'll they'll really weigh that and so We'll see. Uh, certainly, it would make Alabama fans feel better if Kansas State uh, won by three touchdowns. And this is a this is an early kick on Saturday on ABC in Arlington, Texas. Uh, so it's somewhat of a home game for for TCU, but uh, TCU is a beatable team. And and again, TCU to me, Christian feels a little bit like Cincinnati last year Mm. Um, you know it's a really nice story but if they are the four seed and uh, or or even the three seed uh, I I think either uh, uh, excuse me, sorry, I just got distracted. <laughs> well, by, because I, I did, because we got to get I got break. distracted okay. by hands. Yes, but, I, but I, let me I let me just say you. that uh, that either uh, Georgia or Michigan would absolutely destroy TCU in the first round of the college football playoffs. But you put Alabama in at that four seed, and then you, you probably have an Alabama Georgia uh, first round matchup. Now that would be a game. Yeah. Oh. Uh... When we get back, let's talk some Trent Dilfer. And, and also, history shows us that Al- things tend to work out for Alabama yeah, in these situations. And, Go back and, to 2011. Yes. and uh, Look it up. I don't know how that sits with the rest of the nation. It sits very well here. Back with Bruce Cunningham to talk some Trent Dilfer. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, guys. This is Kenan Thompson. I have a problem with you. Yes, you. None of y'all told me that AutoTrader has millions of new and used cars that I can shop from home. Back on Big News Sports, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and Christian Miller. Appreciate you folks dialing us in around the state of Alabama. Joined next by Bruce Cunningham, longtime sports director and anchor for Fox 45 in Baltimore. Also was the PA, the voice of the Ravens for, what, 20, 25 years. But he covered the Ravens, he knows the Ravens, and obviously he would know Trent Dilfer. Bruce, how are you, man? Are you enjoying retirement? Oh, retirement is great. I highly recommend it. And, you know, they played that Boston <laughs> tune coming back in. That was my freshman year in college. Matt, I swear, every time <laughs> I hear that album, I think of blinding hangovers, you know? 
Um, I remember that song blaring through our fraternity house along with some yeah. kiss, but we can talk about that at Trader sure. Vic's. Uh, yeah. That's a story uh, which we we're not going to get into. It's it's a it's a good one though. Uh, hey, just give us a, a a quick give give us a quick Bruce Cunningham uh, look at Trent Dilfer. Um, you got to remember it, he he hadn't played for the Ravens in about twenty years. So all I can do is tell you what my impressions were. You know, in two thousand, uh, he's he's got a very earnest way about him. You know, there, there's not a lot of funny stuff with, with Matt, with, with him. He just, he's not that guy. Uh, he, he approaches things in a very, uh, let's say, uh, business-like way. Um, I was a little surprised UAB hired him. Uh, I didn't know that, you know, he doesn't really have all that much experience. But they see something in him, and a lot of other people see that in him, and that's just the work ethic and all of that. You know, he came to Baltimore. What was he, the number four overall pick in the draft, you know, in, in Tampa? And he's supposed to be Johnny Unitas, and he and he wasn't, you know. And it just it just didn't work out. So the Ravens signed him as a backup. And you talk about a humbling experience. He goes from the golden boy to the backup. Uh, he, you know, they, the Ravens had a quarterback named Tony Banks at the time, and and Dilfer was brought in to back up Banks. And about three quarters of the way through the season, the Ravens, who won the Super Bowl that year, they had like twenty quarters without scoring a touchdown. So they finally pulled Banks and they put Dilfer in there. And, and the next thing you know, Dilfer is holding up the Lombardi. Um, but again, it's his earnestness and, and his business-like approach that I think is going to serve him well as a coach there. You know, it's been interesting all these years later. It's uh, that, that championship uh, Ravens team, it's, it's, it's like when people describe it, they won it in spite of Trent Dilfer. Right, he yeah. he he's sort of known as this quarterback who who kind of lucked into winning the Lombardi Trophy because of that amazing defense. But I'm wondering how did his teammates react to Trent back then, if you can remember? He was very popular. They they all liked him very much, and I don't mean to make it sound like Trent didn't have a fun side. That entire season, the three quarterbacks it was him and Tony Banks and Chris Redman was the number three quarterback. They engaged in a season-long series of practical jokes, and they just got funnier and funnier. And I remember interviewing a player at his locker, and I feel a hand go into my pocket, and I look around, and Dilfer had put Tony Banks' socks in my pocket. You know, it, it, it was like that the whole season. But he, he's got leadership, and, and his team responded to that. That defense was so good that, you know, your offense was always going to get short trips, especially an offense like that that had Jamal Lewis as a rookie and could really run the football. But he completed passes when he needed to, and uh, and he got the W. And that's uh, in the end, that's what it's all about. Uh, the Ravens showed him a lot of disrespect after that season. Uh, Elvis Gerbach had become a free agent, and Brian Billick was the head coach here, and he just loved Gerbach. He thought Gerbach hung the moon, and so they let, uh, they let Trent go. And they brought in Gerbach, and it took them 12 years to get back to another Super Bowl. So Trent had an unusual career, to say the least. Uh, but since he quit playing, as I understand, you know, he started giving lessons and that developed into a, you know, like a business uh, where kids could come and work on their, their skills. And then the high school thing came along and he's been lights out. I mean, whatever he does as the head coach obviously works. Now, will it translate to UAB? I think UAB's taking a little bit of a chance here. But at the same time, um, Trent Dilfer can't be as expensive. Is some of these experienced guys, you know what I mean? And and uh, 
if he comes in and does well, well, he's going to look like a bargain to him. So I wish him well. I mean, there's nobody – you won't find anybody in Baltimore with anything bad to say about Trent Dilfer. I promise you that. You took my question, Bruce. I was going to ask, you know, after him having success on the high school level, um, did you feel that it would translate effectively at the college level? But how – I mean, how long do you feel it's going to take him to adjust and adapt? I mean – it's not always the easiest thing, you know, going from you know one level to the next, especially as a player, but even more so, I'd imagine, as a coach. I mean, do you oh, feel yeah. like this is something that, you know, he can turn it around quickly? Do you think it's going to take him some time to kind of figure it out? I read that he was saying, you know, it's just something he's going to figure figure out as it goes along, just like he did um, at Lipscomb uh, Academy. Is that something mm-hmm. you think is going to take some time? Of course it is. You know, uh, you played the game, you know, uh, moving – from a high school coach to a to a, a D one football coach, you're not even a D three job. You know, it's a D one job that he took. Um, who knows how it's going to go? Watch the assistants that he hires, and uh, and then and, and see how he does in recruiting. Because the one thing he can do in recruiting that a lot of other coaches can't do is he can wear that Super Bowl ring in there. You know, yeah. and that 2000 ring is very impressive, and you can wave that thing around. Um, but it's just like any other thing, you know, where does the Peter principle come in? In other words, where is your highest level of confidence? UAB had enough confidence in him to, to take a chance, but let's all be clear, guys. Uh, this is a chance that UAB has taken. This is by no means a slam dunk. But Dilfer, like I said, he's got an impressive way about him, and I'm sure that he's able to convince them. And, uh, in terms of how long it's going to take, who knows? Who knows, right? Uh, Bruce Cunningham, final question. We'll let you go. Uh, just, just give us your view from Baltimore, Maryland, on um, the college football picture. Who would your top four be? And uh, since if you were still in Birmingham, you'd be in Atlanta today. Who will win between LSU and Georgia? Georgia. Georgia's really good. Uh, the funny thing, Alabama's sitting there with two losses, and I'm. I don't think Georgia's better than Alabama. But you know, it's, it's like they say: you are what your record says you are. Um, so it's it's kind of a rough year, and I put rough in quotes for, for Alabama. Georgia, I think, is the best team in the country. Uh, Michigan came up here to play Maryland in College Park and barely won. I think they won by three points or something like that. So I thought Mich- Michigan had a big hole in them, and I thought Ohio State was going was gonna to stomp a mud hole in them. And, you know, neither one of those things happened. But I'm not sold on them at all. <clears throat> SMU, I think, is the wild card. And honestly, uh, or, or TCU, rather, you look at TCU, Auburn's job was just open. How, how did Sonny Dykes escape their clutches? You know, I mean, that guy, he seemed like a hot guy. But I don't want to get off topic. I'm not entirely sold on USC. Uh, I'm not. If you're asking me to rank them one through four right now, just based on what I've seen, I'd have to go Georgia, TCU, uh, Michigan, and, and, and then USC. Uh, but right. who knows? You know, Interesting. I, I, what's, the, what's the reaction down there to the expanded playoffs? Oh, it's it's nuts because everybody knows that Alabama would be in if it were you know if they were in place right now. Uh, Matt, and, you know, you everybody truth, in the though, SEC. <laughs> I've been you know I've been saying this for years. Uh, the, the the football playoff I think is a great idea, but you should build that thing backwards. The national championship game should be the Saturday night before the Super Bowl. Is there a bigger hole in the sports calendar than that night? Right. No. That's when you should play no. it. You okay? We don't have to agree, but you build it back from there. No, you I agree. I agree, hundred percent. Okay, all right. I think college football, uh, rather than a Monday night, you know, which everybody, it's okay. But man, that night before the Super Bowl, everybody's revved up, right? That would be a perfect time to play yeah. that game. And if they're smart, they'll wow. build it back from there. You know. 
Good thoughts from Bruce Cunningham. Hey, do you still have Tony Banks socks? <laughs> I gave them back. I tell you what, <laughs> you guys might want to ask him about this if you ever have him on. They also put cheese in Redmond's helmet during training camp. And, and they wouldn't, oh, you know. Gross. And, oh, yeah, you got about four weeks into the season, and oh, man, it got nasty. But uh, those guys, they had a good time, those three quarterbacks that year, I promise you. You got a good man oh. there. I hope he wins. Um, but he's a solid individual, and when you meet him, you'll understand what I mean. Uh, he's going through the media car wash next week, so he'll be with <laughs> us. Thank you, Bruce. My best to All you, right. your family, your dogs, everybody in that, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Same to you, Matt. Thanks for asking me. See you later. You bet. All right. Bruce Cunningham, uh, excellent reporter. Many remember him from Birmingham. Hey, an announcement out of Talladega Super Speedway we got to get to. It's important. It's coming up in just a moment. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. If you're looking for new furniture or bedding, there's really only one stop that you need to make this Christmas, and that's Spiller Furniture and Mattress. We have a huge selection of recliners, sofas, Tomorrow and Sunday, cloudy both days with occasional showers likely. The high tomorrow is 65, the high Sunday at 60. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 61 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Hey, uh, welcome back to Big News Sports. We just got to do a conversation about crab cakes. We'll share it with you next hour. But um, right now, by the way, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, myself, Matt Coulter on Big Noon Sports. We're joined by Russell Branham, who is the director of NASCAR Track Communications for the Southeast. And the man wears so many hats, his, his neck's probably sore. Right now, I think his shoulder is. He had wrote, you're not starting for the Braves this week, are you, Russell? Listen, the fact that I tore my rotator cup on a golf course is embarrassing in itself. Um, <laughs> so I don't have a great story to tell about it. I uh, I slipped on a wet bridge at a, at a very good Robert Trent Jones golf course um, back in July, but I had to get the race season completed, and so I just had the surgery three weeks ago, but um, I'm doing well. But, again, not a great story to say you tore your rotator cup on a golf course. Well, I was all set to let you come on and promote your charity event tomorrow, but I think Mother Nature has intervened. Would you kind of catch us up? Yeah, you know, we looked at the forecast for tomorrow, and here in Talladega, we're expecting a lot of rain here in the morning. And so, you know, the one thing that we want to do when people come out here and and make a donation for $50 to come out and drive three laps around this racetrack we want you to be able to get up on the bank, you know, 33 degrees of banking and let you feel exactly what the drivers feel whenever they're going around here at 200 miles per hour. Um, 33 degrees of the banking, it's the most that there is in NASCAR, and this is the biggest track in NASCAR. And for people that want to come here, we want to make sure they have a great experience, and we want them to come back, you know, for a race. Um, having them be able to come here when it's, when it's, if it's raining, we could still do it, but they would have to drive on the apron of the racetrack. One thing that uh, doesn't match very well is, is a wet racetrack with tires uh, trying to drive around it here. So um, what we've done, we pushed back our, um, our track laps for charity event to next Saturday. Um, and, again, 
It's going to be from 9 o'clock to 1 o'clock next Saturday on the 10th of December. People can come out and drive their own personal vehicles around the racetrack for just a minimal $50 donation. All the money that we raise goes right back into the community. We've raised already $38,000 in three events thus far uh, doing these type of programs. And uh, this next Saturday's on the 10th. All the proceeds will go to uh, Toys for Tots, and um, hopefully we can eclipse maybe fifty thousand for the year uh, if we can get around twelve grand next year, next week. But the idea is, it's a great time of the year, um, and we want everyone to be happy and uh, to be able to raise money and raise raise those funds for the Toys for Tots, which will all go to kids. Uh, it's going to be a great event. Again, we're just pushing it one week later to the tenth. Russell. Russell, this is uh, Lars Anderson here. And, Hey, Lars. Um, congratulations! Congratulations on this. You've been doing a terrific job, uh, just promoting the sport and growing NASCAR. And it feels like there's a renaissance going on with the sport. I got to tell you, one time uh, I was with Tony Stewart and Mike Arning, who was uh, you know Tony's yeah. right hand man, and we were in a golf Still cart. Still is in a way. And Still Tony, is in a way today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We were in a golf cart. Now, this is a souped-up golf cart, and Tony's like, we're going through the turn. And I don't know if I've ever been so scared in my life, but uh, Tony swore that the golf cart could carry enough speed, and, and sure enough, we did. We made it through. Is there a minimum amount of speed a car has to carry to be, I don't know, for a better lack of way of putting this, uh, to be safe going through the turn. To not fall down. To, to not tip over. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people yeah. truly understand how steep that is until you're there. And uh, it, it is just like looking straight up a hill. Yeah. You're looking up five stories pretty much. Um, and it's really something to see not only from the bottom when you're looking up, but also there's, there's many times I, I may go for a run around the top of the track and look down. And it's just amazing how, how far you are up there. But you can have a car, and, and I could park it right in the center of the corner, and it would stay there fine. Now, am I going to try that with a with a big van, or am I going to try that with some other kind of specialty type vehicle? I'm not. But I do know that if I can park a, you know, whether it be a, a small SUV or, or, or park a, a the pace car, whatever the case may be, um, it will stick up there. You know, years ago, they used to allow so people that would come to the racetrack would allow them to walk up and, and feel it. Uh, but after many broken ankles and collarbones and wrists and that kind of thing, that they eliminated that. It's, I, I'll tell you guys a pretty funny story. So I guess it was probably about seven or eight years ago, the, uh, the Globetrotters called me and said they were coming through and they were going to be doing a show over in Birmingham, and they wanted to know if they could bring their big bus here and allow the team to come and, you know, take a lap around the track. Could I give them pace car rides? You know, the whole enchilada. So we brought them in. We rode them around the base of the track in that big bus, stopped it, and then I proceeded to give every one of them, you know, rides in the pace car. I also said I'm going to take advantage of them being here, so I went and bought a basketball goal, put a big Talladega logo on it, placed it down on the apron inside of turn number four, where we had the big Talladega logo on the on the, um, on the wall and the American flag in the background, and I got them down there shooting some hoops and got some great video of it, some great you know, you know photography, etc. And I had told them do not go up the track, and so I'm down there shooting video and everything else of them playing, you know, shooting hoops. Next thing I know, I look up, 
and there's three of them that had taken it upon themselves to climb up to the top of the track. The problem was they didn't know how to get down. And I, in my in my mind, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I got the 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 historic, world known globetrotters who are here at Talladega, um, trying to do something good here for a nice story. And instead, if they fall and break their ankles, it's, that's going to become the, the big story. And um, basically, I had to tell them to come down. You had to basically sit on your rear, and then with your two hands, just sort of. Push yourself up a little bit, come down. Push yourself up a little bit, let your, let your rear hit the asphalt again, and then keep doing it that way. And then finally they were able to come down because trying to come down is a lot harder than trying to go up. <laughs> uh, great stuff, Russell. Uh, we got 30 seconds. Tell everybody where they can get their Christmas tickets. Hey, uh, all you got to do is go to TalladegaSuperSpeedway.com. Come see us for the Geico 500 weekend next April. And come see us on December the 10th. We're going to have a great uh, track laps for charity event. Everything goes right back to the kids in our area. Great stuff, Russell. Thanks for for letting me be on today. Thanks thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Russell. All right. Uh, Coming up next hour, we'll talk some recruiting. Yeah. Have you ever done – I want to talk about it just a little bit on this. I do, too. Main wreckage on the south side of the tracks. Report of male driver late 20s, severe injuries. Copy that. Can you see the vehicle? No, it's way up there. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Hey, welcome in your Friday afternoon. We're all just kind of hanging around the studios. I'm looking out the window. It looks like it might rain a little bit. Of course, as we just heard from Russell, it's going to rain out the event for Talladega this weekend and the charity lap so you can take your own vehicle. Go next week. It's absolutely a blast. Uh, I have done it many times. Last year, I did it with uh, my two grandsons. And, uh, man, it's going up through those turns and looking up briefly, very briefly, to see what my grandchildren were doing. And the eyes and the look on their face is just spectacular. Um, and it really, I was just in my regular four-door sedan. Um, but some people have vets, and they'll take them through. You need to take, you need to take your Hyundai through there. Uh, Christian needs to take that big truck of his. I don't have a Hyundai, dude. Oh, no, you're right. It's a Subaru. <laughs> Sorry about that. No. I got a dad car. Um, hey, Christian, before we get to you, uh, I, I just have to tell this quick story. Uh, at Charlotte Motor Speedway, the Wiener Mobile was there, and uh, Kurt Busch was behind the wheel, and somehow, some way, I think it's because I was doing a long story on Kurt. It was just Kurt and I spinning laps at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Wiener Mobile, <laughs> and funny. all Kurt wanted to do was roll the thing and he was trying so hard and i mean the wiener mobile can only go about 35 miles per hour and uh and and as kurt is trying to roll it uh you have all these i don't know wiener mobile people like literally running after the wiener mobile <laughs> just irate with kurt and he's just laughing and of course I'm terrified because I'm not. There's no seat belts in the Wiener Mobile, and uh, we ended up not tipping over. We came really, really close. But if you put that on Talladega, that would, would definitely be, roll. It'd be 
catching relish on the way down. <laughs> the word for those people uh, that are with Oscar Meyer is handlers, but you have to be very, very careful on how you use that in wiener, relationship. Wiener handlers? Wiener. Yeah, that, that, that's it. All I have to do, Christian, all you do is just open the door uh, about a hair. And Lars is going to jump through. Christian, have you ever been on the Wienermobile? I have and, uh, and then also, okay, do you, um, do you have any desire or have you uh, ridden, ridden around, taken any laps around Talladega? I would love to do so. Um, I'm a big car guy. Uh, I bought my first car when I was 14. I saved up enough money. I bought a 2001 Mitsubishi Eclipse GT and a five-speed manual. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge car guy. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that car deserved that type of uh, praise, but to me it did at the time. I was proud of it, and uh, now before my truck, I actually had one of the new C8 Corvettes. So uh, I, um, I would love to take a trip out there and, and uh, you know take some laps. That would be fun. I, th I think we'll have to set that up. Yeah, we can make for that happen. All right, since you mentioned it, I've got to ask, and since we're all, literally all over the track here, um, how many of your teammates could drive a stick shift? That's a great question. Honestly, I'd be willing to bet probably probably less than 10% of them. I don't even know if 5% of them could. Uh, I used to take pride in it because, you know, all my cars in high school were yeah. all manuals except for the trucks that I had. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's definitely um, a lost art nowadays. You don't really see it often. But I'll tell you, it's uh, the best thing to prevent theft because uh, no one knows how to, how to drive them. So as soon as they try to break in your car and take it, they'd be lost on how to get it moving. Um, but, yeah, I don't think a lot of guys nowadays know how to drive them, unfortunately. I remember uh, my dad had a uh, cherry red Fiat convertible. And those those Fiat, and it was a, it was a stick, and um, uh, it, it could fly. It could fly. And uh, when I was 17, I, I, I took uh, Debbie Warmerskirts was her name, took her out on a date. And uh, in Nebraska, run, run that, I'm sorry. In Nebraska, run, run that la it, last name by me again. Wormerskirch, and of course, my dad referred to her as Worm in the skirt, but Debbie Wormerskirch. <laughs> um, and and I took her out on a date, and, and kind of what you do when you're 17, 18 years old in Nebraska is like you go out into the country, and you um, you know you go and you get. Uh, you look at the stars and all that. Anyway, we're, we're, we're driving, or I'm driving, driving pretty fast, and uh, go probably like 85, 90, and uh, there's railroad tracks coming up, and I don't really pay much attention to it, and man, all four, <laughs> just lift off, and all four, all, all, all four tires are off the ground. We come down, and then I just hear this ding, 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 ding. All four hubcaps just went shooting out into cornfields. And so Debbie and I then spent the next three hours looking for those hubcaps because, sure, because that's what you were doing. <laughs> because it, and uh, my dad, if I had lost the hubcaps of that car, it would not have been pretty when I came home. But uh, that taught me a lesson of uh, don't go fast over railroad tracks. It's my humble opinion, and that's all it is, that everybody that ends up driving should learn to drive a stick. It gives yeah, my dad, you, I, was taught, I was taught on a yeah, stick. I was too. Um, and if you can't... Josh, can you clock. Josh? Can you drive a stick? Josh? Mm, uh, I like need to get taught how. All okay. right. Uh, In other words, no. I, I'll, I'll teach you no. my child. <laughs> you can do it, but my real dad... <laughs> 
Who, who taught you, Christian? Uh, I taught myself. I uh, I literally went to go buy the well, again. I was fourteen, so I didn't even have my permit at the time. But uh, my older brother and all his friends had all the, the the manual cars, and we used to love like the Fast and the Furious. And I just wanted to be a part of them, so I went to go buy this car at fourteen with no permit. Uh, he basically went over there to, to to get it for me. Had no clue how to drive a manual. I somewhat did a a, <laughs> a test drive in a parking lot, and uh, I was like, oh, you know, good enough. And then uh, when we brought it home. I just practiced in the neighborhood and taught myself. Probably, honestly, probably watched some YouTube videos and, you know, watched him do it enough that I just kind of figured it out. So, Christian, what I'm hearing is you can teach me then. Yeah. I can teach you. We'll you, you have to provide me a car, though, because I don't, I don't have a manual car at the moment. But uh, if you provide the car, I would be glad to teach you, Josh. <laughs> hey, hey, if I get the car right there, I'm hitting you up, Christian. Sounds uh, good. Now they have these paddles. Yep. You know, and they don't even, they have a clutch and stuff in, in the NASCAR vehicles, but really they have a gear shift that you just kind of pull back, pull back, pull back, and it goes through. I think they have six gears now. So it's a lot different even on the NASCAR circuit. But uh, unless you can drop a clutch and pull up a hill without, dr uh, without drifting backwards, you don't know how to drive a clutch. That's right. Uh, all right. Uh, with, with all that being said, where do we go from here, Lars, Mr. Wienermobile? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, how about we go to the SEC championship game and have uh, Christian Miller kind of break it down for us? And um, I, 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 I did want to ask you, too, about this dynamic of playing a team for a, a second time uh, in, in, a, in, in a season. Um uh, and, and that's what we're seeing in, in a couple of these championship games. How difficult is it to face a team a second time? And how difficult is it to beat a team a second time? Just like Utah, or I'm sorry, that USC, or no, Utah is going to try to do to USC tonight. You know, it's, it's definitely tough. Um, you know, now to think about it, I guess the team that lost the first matchup, they might have a slight advantage uh, due to the fact that they probably have a little more motivation going into it because they uh, were handed a loss the first appearance. Um, I look back at, you know, I've, I think I had to play, if I had to I maybe play Georgia twice, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'd have to go back and look at and see. I think it was, what, 2017 when we won the national championship against them. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm pretty sure we played them in the SEC championship. Is that correct? In 2017? I should remember this, but... I think so. I think so. But to answer your question, I'm, I'm looking at yeah. Producers are on the prowl here. Yeah, yeah. Or, or no, actually, no. We excuse me. We that's when we lost to Auburn. It was Georgia versus Auburn. Excuse me. But um, you know, yeah. It, with that being said, yeah, it, it's always tough playing a team twice. But because again, you know, both teams are going to go back and they're going to look at what they did wrong. You know, they're going to they're going to. Look at, you know, other ways they could attack you, you know, things that they, they wish they would have done better. Now they have a chance to go back and do it. Um, so it's not always um, an easy task. But again, I think the biggest biggest thing that you can do is just go out there and play your game, focus on your game plan and not, you know, focus too much on the external uh, factors in the game. You got a pick here. I mean, is everybody just going to go UGA all the way? Um, yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to say... I'd go with Georgia. I watched that LSU and, and A&M game, and they just, I don't know, LSU just did not look like the same team that we saw against Alabama. And uh, I think their quarterback is pretty banged up, too. I think he's dealing with a knee injury yeah. as well. 
Um, so I, I, I'm definitely leaning Georgia in this game. You know, unfortunately, I, I mean, Georgia can afford to lose this game. I think they still are guaranteed a spot in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. But that, that's what it appears to be the case. So. Christian, what's your uh, analysis of Stetson Bennett? Uh, Matt and I have talked a lot about him over the last uh, year, year and a half or so. Um, if you are a defensive coordinator, uh, outside linebacker, how do you attack this kid? He's a very gritty guy, you know, and he's not um, the most athletically gifted guy. You know, you look at him, he doesn't, you know, have all those big physical tools from some of these other quarterbacks that you uh, typically see. But, you know, he's just tough and um, his team rallies behind him. He's uh, clearly a, a great leader uh, for that team. But I think he's just one of those system guys and he runs and operates that system very well. He's very effective and efficient in that system. And uh, he, he makes all the throws they need him to make. And uh, he's just one of those guys who he's a good game manager. Um, but I, I will also credit him. He also does make some really nice throws. And I, I think he sometimes is, uh, you know, doesn't always get the credit he deserves. But going into it with a guy like him, you know, you just I say this about every quarterback, but it's true. You know, the the best way, uh, you know, to to make a quarterback struggle is to affect him with pass rush to make him frustrated. Um, you know, if your, your cover guys aren't allowing his receivers to get open and he's got guys in his face, you know, he's going to start getting frustrated. He's going to start getting on his toes. He's just not going to feel comfortable back there and, and it forced him to make mistakes. And so if it's me, that's how I'm going to uh, approach a, a quarterback like that. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to send pressure. I'm going to send blitzes at him. I want to hit him. I'm going to make him not want to, you know, to deal with that defense. I want him intimidated back there. I, the last thing you want to do is have a quarterback sitting back there like he's playing on seven on seven because that's when they pick you apart. So you really want to go tattoo that guy and make make sure he does not want the ball in his hands. Make him get rid of it quick, and uh, that's the that's the biggest way to affect a guy like that. Okay, aside from the Alabama quarterbacks that you played with. Who was the best quarterback you faced in college? Oh, that's tough. Um, wow. I mean, Kyler Murray was definitely a really good quarterback when we faced him. Uh, we did a really good job, I felt like, to kind of thwart him and his explosiveness, explosiveness that he had showed you know, early, earlier in the season. But, you know, talent alone, I think he was one of the better quarterbacks. Drew Locke from Missouri was, you know, a really good quarterback. He made some exceptional throws that game when they came to uh, Tuscaloosa in my senior year. Um, in 2018, so I'm, I'm probably forgetting some, but off the top of my head, those two guys from my senior year, I, I think back to them as you know really good quarterbacks. Not counting the guys and, and I Christian, played with. When, Obviously, I'm not counting the right, Alabama yes, quarterbacks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you and I were hanging out in Tuscaloosa the other day, you were, we were talking about how you sacked Kyler Murray two times in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. It was my, uh, he was my last college sack ever. Cause I got, unfortunately I got hurt that game. I pretty much tore my hamstring and, and missed the, the championship game after that. So he was my last sack in college and my first sack or two sacks in the NFL. So pretty cool statistic wow. right there. A significant uh, retirement for those that live in the state of Alabama and, and nationally to a certain extent. We'll talk about that as you listen to Big Noon Sports with Matt and Lars. Christian, the gang is all here. And at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk some recruiting with um, On3 and Alabama Insiders, Andrew Bone. From T-Town to the Plains. 
This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Hey, Pete, how's business? It's great. Foot traffic's still way down, but more people are finding me online. Nice. How'd you pull that off? Well, the first thing I did was go time. For tomorrow and Sunday, cloudy both days with occasional showers likely. The high tomorrow is 65, the high Sunday at 60. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 62 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Dialing us in. I just made a realization after that first segment where we got into the Wienermobile and your date in the Fiat that uh, today's the day that I asked my mother-in-law, my sweet mother-in-law, Anne Delane and Gadsden to please tune in the show. <laughs> Anne Delane, I apologize. That's not my normal MO. That's Lars. It's all on Lars. Uh, hey, you know, the good thing about this show, or maybe it's the terrible thing about this show, is that... I believe in revealing uh, a lot about yourself and and in your past experiences, what you've learned, uh, you know, the good and the bad. Um, and and I, I, I don't know, like, I, I just believe in being authentic and sharing stories from our past and and uh hopefully they can be relatable in one way or another to our listeners i mean matt you have been in the radio business for a long time far longer than i am uh i don't know if there is a secret one particular secret sauce of success but uh to me just being yourself is the the way to go uh radio is a very personal uh, venue, you know, you listen to it and you may be in a room full of people, but you're listening by yourself, you know, you hear what you hear. So I think it's essential to be that way. Um, we could get on here and talk X's and O's and I think Christian's the same way because the Saturday morning show, we've, we've kind of talked about a lot of different things. Hadn't we Christian? Yeah, we really have. And, uh, we, we've seen, we've seen to get, uh, you know, great feedback from it, just kind of being ourselves and enjoying each other and, um, the way we kind of just go in there and 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 just mesh, um, that that's pretty much uh, the recipe we had for our success doing that, and uh, it was always a bunch of fun. So that's why I was so excited to be able to jump on here with you guys and kind of help, you know, carry some of that over onto this show. And I, I think so far that's what we've been doing, and uh, it's been a really good show. So far, so good. All right. So I, apolo- apologies to your mother-in-law uh, and, and tell she, Karen she's I'm sorry. Too. She she totally gets it. Uh <laughs> Mike DuBose is retiring. You know, he was the head football coach at Alabama, a long-time very, very successful defensive coordinator. He was one of the keys that helped develop that defense that uh, Alabama just shut down Miami in 92, technically 93, to win the national championship. Uh, really good guy, ran into some trouble as a head coach on and off the field, but I'm not getting into that as much as I'm just going to uh, reach him, uh, you know, wish him much success in his retirement. He went back, he uh, knocked it around a little bit in some small colleges, ended up at Op, which is his hometown, and was a head football coach there at Op for a couple of years. But he has uh, decided to, to hang them up. And um, I will always think and uh, be very, very fond of Mike DuBose on and off the field. But do you even remember him? Yes. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anything too negative at this moment when he is retiring. But uh, you know, uh, you know of my close relationship with Bruce Arians and and Mike Debose fired BA. And I do remember BA telling me right after he won the Super Bowl, "Where's Mike Debose?" Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh, is he coaching high school? Yeah. And uh, here's my Lombardi trophy. Not one to hold a grudge, is he? Is no, there? no. I bet. Do you ever he, think he's doing him a favor? I mean, look what Mike Dubose did for him. He opened doors. Oh, he did because getting fired uh, from Alabama, and and we could get into why he got fired and why Bruce thought it was complete BS. But uh, and that's a whole nother story, which we cover in the quarterback whisper. Um, but what what happened was Bruce then got a call from the Colts, and he became their quarterbacks coach. And then he was put in charge of making the decision: Do we select Peyton Manning first or Ryan Leaf? And they uh, obviously picked Peyton Manning, and Bruce did all the background research. And in in, in a weird twist, now I'm doing a book with Ryan Leaf. Um, but, uh, but, but, but that was what accelerated Bruce's career in the NFL was getting fired by DeBose. Now on that fourth and one call, the iron bowl, I'll just say really quickly, um, Bruce is upstairs. He's on the headset. He's the offensive coordinator. He's trying to talk to DeBose. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Radio silence, according to Bruce. And then uh, they throw the screen, and it gets snuffed out because, according to Bruce, uh, Alabama's best player, Chris Samuels, misses a block, uh, and Auburn wins the game. Bruce becomes a scapegoat, and he gets fired. And uh, it was devastating to his family. You forget that you know it's not just a coach losing his job. It's a family that has to get uprooted. And he had two young children. They thought that they were going to live in Tuscaloosa for a long time. And when Bruce had to go in and tell his young daughter that they were moving again, she just bawled her eyes out. I mean, it, it really it humanizes things when you when you drill deep. And, and Christian, I, I, I know you 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 know this, that there is a real personal side to when coaches and coaching staffs lose their jobs. Yeah, there definitely is. And uh, you just have to think, I mean, it's not just a job um, for a lot of people. I mean, these are relationships that guys have. You know, these coaches have, you know, special bonds and relationships with their players. Um, you know, their kids go to school in the area and their kids have relationships with um, everyone in the community. So um, when coaches, you know, are uprooted or um, moved on or, or, or fired from a job, it, it is a uh, is definitely a substantial loss for them, and and it's a, a big difference in uh, a lot of people's lives, just not themselves, just because there's so many factors involved in you know these coaches' lives. You know, again, coaches are pouring into these kids, and and um, it's it's not easy on the players as well. These players grow fond of their coaches, and some of these coaches are almost father figures um, to a lot of these players. So. Um, yeah, it's not easy for uh, for a coach to be fired or to to move on elsewhere. Christian, I'm not going to ask you specific names or anything, but was there ever a coach that left Alabama during your tenure that you just went, "Wow, man, I am really going to miss that guy"? Whether he was let go or uh, I, I guess there have been a few firings, but 
Anybody like that that you just went, man, I'm going to miss that guy? Honestly, I mean, anytime a coach would leave, uh, I feel like I'd have that feeling. You know, I'm a very routine type of person, and uh, I, I like to form relationships with people that I'm around and that I work with. So anytime a coach would leave, uh, no matter um, what what uh, type of coach it was or, or their role, um, it could have been a uh, from a coordinator to just a GA. I mean, you spend so much time with these people. I mean, we're in that building from 7 in the morning all the way until some sometimes 6 in the evening. Um, depending on you know how late you stay after practice, so um, I mean I honestly could say that about so many coaches. Again, not even just coaches. Now that I think about it, I could say that about you know athletic trainers that we've lost. I mean, I you know I think okay. of some of the athletic trainers that I was close with. They move on to different schools and whatnot, and I spent so much time with them. Half the reason <laughs> I was you know able to get back on the field was because of them. So yeah, so many meaningful relationships with a lot of people. And that's why you're here. Christian, great insight. You're listening to Big Noon Sports with Matt Coulter. That's Christian Christian Miller along with Lars Anderson. And um, when we get back, uh, you want to talk some recruiting? Andrew Bone going to be coming on and joining us. Yeah, I wonder how deep we can go in transfer portal. Does that now fall under under his umbrella? Yeah, absolutely. Might as and well. I also want to talk to him about the eighth grader at Thompson and what is his what are his prospects already? Is he being heavily recruited now by SEC schools? He'd already been kind of offered from some smaller schools, but uh, got a feeling that list has grown. Yep. Uh, and and grown in numbers, size, and schools. So we'll tackle that on the other side. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Improve visibility in your vehicle and save $10 on a pair of Trico Force wiper blades now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. He opened for the Stones in 82 when I was at the Superstone with uh, the, excuse me, the what? The Superdome with 86,000 of my closest friends. Most memorable concert in my life. So I just thought I'd throw that at you as long as we're being revealing as human beings. Christian, what's your favorite concert you've ever been to? You guys are going to think I'm kidding, but I'll be honest, I've only probably been on, been to a, a handful of concerts. Um, but if I had to, to pick between one of the few, uh, man, I'd probably just say Darius Rucker. You know, my dad's good friends with him, and, you know, I've seen him perform a handful of times. So I'd, I'd probably just go with him. Huge sports fan. Yeah. yeah, big, big Dolphins fan, isn't he? Yeah, huge Dolphins fan and huge Gamecock fan. Good. And that's not a bad choice at all. I like their music. Um, a lot. Uh, hey, guys, I want to go back to the conference championships uh, that are being p- played involving TCU and USC. And, Lars, you're more of a line guy here. But I was really surprised. Like, USC is only favored by, like, three. And TCU is only favored by two. Um, I just thought those numbers would be touchdown-like. Is, do, can you do a, a Vegas dive for me here? <laughs> No, uh, other than the fact that uh, that you know when USC and Utah played earlier this year, it was really really close, 
And um, I think conference championship games are they're really hard to predict. But uh, Christian would know this better than me because you've actually played in them. Is the intensity level? I'm assuming Christian that it it, it gets just uh, it gets amped up a little bit, right? And uh, does that sometimes lead to either? I don't know, uh, a higher level of play or does it lead to uncharacteristic mistakes because you are so uh, juiced up and ready to go? That's a great question, Lars. I'll answer it quick because I think we have Andrew Bowen on the line. Um, To answer that question, um, I definitely would say that there's a lot more emotion um, going into those games because you know what's on the line. You know, you've worked um, the whole season and the whole offseason, for that matter, uh, to get to this point. And, And this is you know, where it all comes down to, to winning those championships and winning those rings. Um, but the, the most important thing you can do is just maintain your level of focus and, and not get too high or too low and just um, treat it. Do your best to treat it like it's any other game, even though we know the stakes are a lot higher. Um, and keep your emotions in check. Don't, you know, do anything out of line or out of out of character um, because of the results. But just treat it as any other game and just go into it with the same process you do any other game and go out there and, and uh, do what you need to do to get a win. We're now joined by Andrew Bone, who uh, uh, writes for Bama Insider and On3 Sports. He's covered Alabama recruiting for 19 years. Uh, he has a one-year-old son uh, who we were just talking about yesterday. I was telling him, you got to get your Christmas shopping in early. I did some yesterday uh, <laughs> for my kids. But, uh, Andrew, how are you doing today, my friend? Man, I'm good. Just you know, enjoying listening to you guys talk and um... – you know that I love getting on uh, getting on the show, listening to uh, to some favorite uh, concerts. You know, I, I've, I've been to. I'm a big uh, music guy myself. Um, obviously, who's not? But um, you know, I've had the chance to go to some some great shows through the years. But man, it's you know, like uh, like Christian, you guys were talking about. It's conference title weekend. Alabama's not in it, which is you know kind of weird, but. Um, you know, now we just kind of wait and see what happens. See if uh, you know these teams who have not been there and uh, in a while end up, uh, you know, potentially folding this weekend. Andrew, you and I talked a little bit yesterday uh, on the phone about Trent Seaborn, the fourteen-year-old uh, eighth grader who led Thompson to this Alabama state title high school championship. Uh, has he been on your radar uh, as a 14 year old? And, uh, is there, can you really evaluate him because he's so young and, and one would assume that he's got so much physical development yet to come? Okay. So for any parents who are listening to the show right now and you have a sixth grader, seventh grader, um, you know, eighth grader right now, you do just, let him have fun. Let him go through high school. Let him enjoy this entire process because every single kid is uh, is not going to be Trent Seaborn. Uh, you know, I, I certainly think that um, you know, this is a guy that is mature, well beyond his years. But there's not a million of those type of kids out there. It's kind of like um, you know we're talking about you know Bryce Young, and everybody believes that. Now there's, uh, you know, a good chance that every, you know, 
six-foot-tall quarterback in the country will be a superstar uh, at the next level. Now, you got to have belief, and you got to believe that you can do that, but everybody's not going to be able to do that just because Bryce Young's able to do that. Um, you know, I think with Trent, he's got a chance to be a pretty uh, spectacular player, but he's also got to develop. He's got a chance to, uh, to be a really good high school football player. He's <laughs> only in eighth grade right now and just took the Class 7A state champions uh, you know, team that's won it the last three years to its fourth state title. But uh, but he's still going to have to develop. He's still going to have to grow. Um, you know, schools have, you know, there have been a few schools, some smaller schools that have extended some offers already. But, you know, a lot of that's still contingent on how well he's going to develop. You know, is he going to get bigger? Is he going to get taller? Is he going to continue to improve his mechanics? And, um, you know, he's going to, I'm sure he's working with a quarterback coach. It's going to teach him everything that he needs to know. But uh, is he going to be an Alabama caliber guy? Is he going to be, um, you know, recruited by all the big schools throughout the country uh, in the next couple of years? Yes, he's now on a lot of, lot more schools' radars, uh, but it's more about evaluating. You get these offers when you're in eighth grade. You know, Dylan Moses got an offer from Alabama when he was in eighth grade, but it was still how you know how good are you going to develop over the course of the next you know two years because these are not committable offers even when you get that official offer letter in the mail uh on on august the first it's not an official uh it's not really an official offer you know you gotta uh you know earn the green light to commit from nick Saban, and he'll want you he'll want to see every single guy you know work out in camp you know, he'll put them through the ringer, you know, because they like to get these kids in camp and treat them like they're, you know, part of the team already. You know, who can hold up? Who can withstand the amount of coaching that uh, they're going to throw at them and everything that uh, that kind of goes into it? So he's a great football player right now. We'll see how he is next year, the year after that, the year after that, the year after that, because he still has a, uh, still has a long way to go, but, man, He's got a chance to be pretty special. Um, I will say that. Andrew, with the augment of the transfer portal, you know, in recent years and just so many guys entering it, you know, day in and day out at this point of the of the season, how do you see it affecting a program like Alabama? And do you feel like it's causing more harm than good at this point? You know, it's hard to tell. Um, you know, Alabama's going to try to go out. You know, bottom line is you want to win games. You want to go out and get players that, you know, can help you win those games. And if you look at your, you know, roster and you're thinking, you know, let's say you know, you've got a pretty important piece that's not going to be there next year. Um, you know, are the guys that are currently on your roster, are they good enough to potentially take you to a national championship? But you also got to have faith in yourself. You got to, you know, as a coach, you got to believe that, hey, I can go out there, I can develop, I can push these kids to be a great player. But at the same time, you get an elite college athlete that wants to go somewhere that has the ability to be a game changer in your program and we've seen alabama have a lot of success uh in the transfer portal probably more so than just about any program uh in the country now there's been some guys who have transferred in who haven't had uh as much success but i would say uh the majority of the guys they've gone after have uh, have done really well and you know in my opinion uh, it could be different, but in my opinion, it seems like those guys fit in, uh, you know, pretty well with the culture and really kind of buy into it. And, you know, we saw that with, you know, Emerson Williams. We've seen that with, um, 
sorry. Off the top of my head, I was trying to think of uh, Jake Coker back in the day when he transferred in uh, from Florida State and the guys that have done really well uh, this year. I mean, you know, Alabama really needed a left tackle this year, and you know, Tyler Steen has stepped in and, and uh, you know, transferred in from Vanderbilt and had a you know, tremendous amount of success. So I think as long as you can go out there and you can you know, recruit the right people, the guys who've been in, uh, good programs before they, you know, gotten developed and they can come in. They have the ability to start. Uh, yeah. I don't see it being a negative effect on the team, but you know, on the flip side of that, you have players on your team who have been there, and if they see somebody else coming in, it may uh, entice them to transfer out and, and go somewhere. If Alabama's out there recruiting, you know, another position, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, in the transfer portal or, you know, they're bringing in a, a top you know, rank kid, not in high school, but let's say a junior college kid. They're coming. They're heavily recruiting. They want those guys to come in and and start right away. It could potentially cause you know some to uh, uh, consider jumping into the transfer portal. And it's just a you know recruiting and you know, the way that you go about things these days as a college football coach is just so different than it was you know even two years ago. I mean, the transfer portal is just insane you know especially with nil uh the way that it is these days you know every single kid that's you know having success at potentially smaller programs they know that they can get more money more nil deals uh at some of these larger schools and they're going to look into that uh as an option but at the same time you know you got to go out there and recruit people uh and bring in people that are you know going to be beneficial to your program and that aren't going to be a distraction to your program Andrew, can you give us the latest updates on Alabama recruiting? You know, Alabama is currently sitting at the uh, number one recruiting class in the country. Uh, we're kind of used to that. Um, but how are they going to finish? That's, you know, pretty much the, the biggest question. You know, they have 24 commitments right now. They just picked up a big one uh, this past week uh, in the 2024, 2023 class from Jaron Hamilton, a four-star receiver uh, out of Gainesville. They also picked up a 2024 uh, linebacker yesterday out of uh, out of Mobile. Uh, Sterling Dixon uh, had 18 sacks uh, alone this uh, this football season. But you know the biggest question mark still remain. You know who are they going to fill out in this uh, 2023 class? You know on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they're pretty much done. Uh, you know there's still a couple guys who are out there, um, especially tight end Lawson Lucky who they're trying to flip away from uh, Georgia and then Caden Proctor is an offensive lineman out of uh, out of Iowa been committed to Iowa since the summer but Alabama still uh, still fighting there still seeing if there's any chance they could potentially flip him and then uh, the defense side of the ball I mean there's so many targets still out there you're still trying to figure out you know how are you going to add one more cornerback to the class uh, you know there's some big names that are still out there including Desmond Ricks uh, out of IMG is going to visit next weekend. Tyler Scott, the DB out of Georgia, is going to visit this weekend. Uh, you know, there's some top end linebackers that are still available, including Keon Keeley, uh, Lars's favorite player in this 2023 class. Uh, <laughs> now that now that Arch Manning's committed to Texas, um, you know he's still available, and Alabama's seeing him uh, down in uh, uh, down in Tampa today. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, I, the first time I ever interviewed Keon Keeley, he told me. He loved he's loved Alabama for so long because two of his favorite players played there, and it was Terrell Lewis and Christian Miller. So 
Yeah. Um, you know, that, that was one of the, uh, and I know he, I know he had a chance to beat you, Christian, uh, at one of the games, but, uh, but this is definitely a guy that, you know, is an outside edge rusher that I think can really make a big difference in, um, in, in Alabama's defense here in the future. But him and, uh, Quay Rousseau, James Smith, the top two recruits in the state of Alabama, still, uh, still in, uh, still in the, uh, sorry still uncommitted right now uh i think that both of them are going to visit alabama next weekend for their final official visit uh alabama coaches freddie roach and, uh, and charles kelly actually visiting with both of those guys uh today so a lot going on on the alabama recruiting front official visitors on campus this weekend um coaches on the road this is where it really starts to heat up as coach saban starts making these in-home visits start trying to close close these deals um but it's you know like i said it's kind of a different world we live in right now with uh with the nil structure and the uh and all the transfers you really got to make sure that you're going after the right people and um and filling the right holes andrew bone thank you where can people f- find you and follow you well you can always follow me at bamainsider.com uh Ten dollars for an entire year subscription. So go on there, search BamaInsider.com. I uh, get uh, my content: Joseph Hastings, Clint Lamb, Jimmy Stein. Also follow me on Twitter at Andrew the Letter J Bone. You also follow our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, search Bama Insider. Awesome stuff. Thanks again. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Thanks. Andrew. Thanks. Hey, when we come back, we're going to wrap up a very quick Friday show. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. Give the gift of warmth this holiday season. Diamonds ITR is hosting a winter coat drive until Monday, December 12th. They're in need. Tomorrow and Sunday, cloudy both days with occasional showers likely. The high tomorrow is 65, the high Sunday at 60. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 63 degrees in Tuscaloosa. at the uh, final segment here on Big Noon Sports with Matt and Christian and Lars. Wow. You know, these shows are never long. They're two hours, and I've been in this business and done shows very, very long. Uh, too long, in fact. But Two hours flies by, but today we were going through turn four in Talladega. <laughs> I mean, wow. Uh, and by the way, uh, Christian Miller going into the spring race will be, I'll get him in a pace car or something. Uh, we'll, uh, I have a very close association with a track, uh, Christian. I don't know if you knew that or not, but, um, I do a lot of their announcing during the, during the races. So, uh, you're Talladega a, Nights was on the other evening. Yeah, I, I made, saw you. I, I saw you there. I made another, I made another dollar and a half. Yeah, I bet yeah. Christian doesn't even know that. Do you get a royalty check every time? Yeah. Not every time it runs. I get them quarterly. 
Well, and how, how much are they? In the beginning, yeah. they were nice. I mean, when it was in the theaters, they were nice. Now, my last one was for nine dollars and forty-seven cents. Candy. They'll buy a beer. They'll buy a beer at Baumhauer's. Uh, okay, let's go. I'll buy the first round. <laughs> no, that's they'll buy a pitcher. A, it really, it will indeed. Yeah, they'll, yeah. And our guy, that, but, uh, our guy at Baumhauer's. Anyway, um, I didn't know you were a car guy, Christian. That's just another thing that you and I can knock around because, man. I love, and I've actually owned some pretty cool cars in my life, and um, I've taken some of them around the track. Really? Some of them. May- oh, yeah. What, what, was your, what was your most favorite car over the years that you've owned? When I was uh, a lot younger and before I had too many children, I had um, an older but a really uh, nice 944. And um doesn't have a lot of horsepower, but it gets a light car, so it gets there in a hurry. But I took that up into the corners, and I was gassed. It was just, I mean, you talk about a high. Almost as good as eating lunch with your grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, when I was 16, my dad spent uh, $1,500 and got me a, a Chevy Citation. That'll haul. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but the thing is, it was a hatchback. Yeah. And it would, uh, you could lay down the back seat and, you know, made the most of that. Christian, back to you. <laughs> well, again, I'm sorry, Endeline. Uh, <laughs> um, what's a, what's one of your favorite cars? It seems like you probably had a few. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mentioned that Corvette earlier, and I, I have to just stick with that. I know it's a newer car, and it's probably you know not as exciting as something that's you know older and a classic. But man, just the way they engineered that new Corvette, uh, you know, it, it being the first mid-engine of its kind. Um, having that paddle shift system that you referred to earlier man so much fun it's just so smooth to drive and uh it's, it's crazy because it still has that corvette dna but it almost looks more like an exotic car now and people uh they see you, you drive vibe man they it, it has everybody turning their neck and trying to figure out what it is and man just a, a remarkable car and uh uh, i probably have to get another one one day and if i do i'm definitely going to bring it over to talladega and we can take some laps in it We'll make that happen. Hey, Christian, have a great weekend. Yes, sir. Y'all too. Lars? Go Utes tonight. Yes. And then tomorrow, the go Wildcats. Horn, go Horn Frogs. Uh, no. Uh, no. No, wrong one. Wrong one. <laughs> for Nike. And right now, Famous Footwear has you covered with up to 30% off select Nike for a limited time. Shop 